What's happening, everybody? Thanks again for tuning in to episode 7 of the Carbide Podcast with Danny Poirier. If you're up to date on all my other episodes, I promise you've heard his name thrown around a few times. Danny was arguably the face of Snowcross on the East Coast for over 15 years. No matter how many fast guys would move up to the pro class every year, time and time again, you'd see Danny contending or winning the championship by the end of the season, even into his late 30s. The guy was unreal. I hope you enjoy our discussion. You know, I, I mean, I grew up my whole life watching Danny Boy, and he just never seemed to get slower, you know. Tremendous pro battles between the great Danny Poirier and Simon Belzeal. Those guys were two of the best snowcross racers that ever raced in the Northeast, period. And welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Really excited about tonight's guest. He's been around the sport for a long time and is easily one of the fastest guys to ever jump on a sled. He's a six-time East Coast Regional Pro Open champion. He's a champion at the prestigious Grand Prix Skidoo Valcourt. And his day job is in the race department with BRP. This is Mr. Danny Poirier. How are we doing, Danny? I'm pretty good. How about you, uh, Spencer? I'm good, man. I appreciate you taking the time. I know we were going back and forth a little while on Facebook, but definitely really wanted to have you on because you've come up on every single one of my previous episodes, so I knew I had to track you down. Yeah, that's kind of fun. <laughs> so, Danny... You were born in Valcor. You still live, you know, a handful of kilometers away. Snowmobiling is really big in the province of Quebec. But what's your earliest memory of snowmobiling, if you can go back that far? Oh, uh, wait a minute. Like uh, the first, the really first memory I have, it's um, with my dad. Like I was like, um, <clears throat> I don't think I was even four years old, maybe four years old. And then we went to a snowmobile ride and he, um, he let me drive. So I have no idea how to drive it. So I remember I came it wide open and he fell back. Like uh, I, I, when I was going wide open, cannot don't really know how to let off throttle. My dad was on the ground. <laughs> it was kind of funny <laughs> in the middle of the town. So, oh man, that's great. Do you uh, do you remember the sled you were on by chance? Just curious. Yeah, I think it was like uh, oh, like uh, Moruski three forty. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like uh, eighty two something like that. Nice, nice. So was the uh, was the was the carb still right in front of you, like right by your chest, and just spewing gasoline all over you when you were riding it? No, no, there was like one with the hoods and everything. So the motor oh, was okay. like, uh, like for like he was before, like is not like the old like you think about. Gotcha, no. gotcha. So when were you first kind of exposed to racing? Then um, that's because obviously that's a big it's a big part of your life. When when did that start? That started actually really kind of late, but I, I get exposed to the Grand Prix of Valcourt. So um, when I was young, like I was, I was watching all the traders coming in town. Like I was living next to the, um, in the middle of the town where the um, garage was, where everybody was, would go watch their trailer. So it was a bunch of kids like sitting in the snowbanks and getting like uh, uh, autograph from the racer and teams and uh, so uh, from the Wednesday night to Thursday night, whenever, was sitting in town, like getting autographs from racer, the oval racer back in the day. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, going to the Grand Prix every year since I'm like five, six years old. So uh, that was where everything started, I guess. It was pretty impressive. 
Oh yeah, I've I've only made up to to Valcor one time, um, just being from Vermont, so it's not super far. But I've only made up there one time, and it was, uh, two thousand four, two thousand five, something like that. But I got to see Blair Morgan ride, and you know, watch the whole thing, and it's it's quite a spectacle. It's Valcor is is an amazing is an amazing event for anybody who hasn't made it there before. Yeah, it is. But if you go back, like even like like in the early 90s and stuff like the old town was just shot and um you can ride snowmobile all weekend long in the in the street and um it was it's different now like it's i think it's more like i don't know back in the day was everything was just more open people riding without helmets in the streets and uh, people drunks everywhere it was and a lot of <laughs> a lot of activities and everything so uh, that was a very good time back then that's awesome. That's awesome. So you, you mentioned getting autographs from all the racers. Were there, were there any kind of particular riders that you looked up to or, or really inspired you to, to start racing at that time? Uh, I wasn't thinking about racing at all. At that time, it was just like a kind of dream. But uh, like the it's 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 a long time ago, like uh, the Vessar brother, um, Jacques Villeneuve, um, Mark Mendes, uh, Alan Decker, his brother, Greg Goodwin, Jeff Goodwin, all those guys. But um, I don't know if you know those guys, but um, it's, it's I, I was not having like, I think like back in those days, like the Vesser brother and um, like the Tim Bender with Polaris, uh, uh, sorry, mm-hmm. with the Yamaha big teams, it was pretty impressive and it was pretty fast. Like uh, mm-hmm. Mike Holes and those guys. So when did you start racing yourself? And was it, I mean, you kind of grew up watching a lot of ice oval stuff during that period of time. Did you, did you try and do ice ovals first or did you jump right into to snowcross? No, I was, bare, I was just like uh, trail riding. And then one day I, when I met um, the, you know, the snowcross starts in Valcourt, like uh, hmm. maybe in 97 or something like that. That's the first time I see that. And uh, I meet my mm-hmm. girlfriend and his dad was a photographer for a Quebec magazine and he was mm-hmm. taking the picture of the of the snowboard races and um his brother tried to race one weekend and I, I went to help him and look at it and was like oh that looks really cool and really fun and uh, so I get the 440 sleds <laughs> went out and tried racing it was like in 2000 so I was like 20 years old when I started racing oh okay yeah okay huh that's that's interesting because yeah when i was going through trying to do all this research or as much as i could you kind of just appeared out of nowhere there wasn't much i could find on kind of your your amateur racing career like when you were younger so it sounds like you you jumped in pretty late and what like the sport class or maybe semi-pro what what did you kind of jump in at oh yeah the first the first year like um i went to like way up north in quebec and do sport and I do like uh, it was crazy. Like we'll do like thousand kilometer and for racing one class and like one mm-hmm. race. And uh, so I raced sports. And um, second weekend I won sport. And uh, I only do like five races during that whole winter. And uh, mm-hmm. and it's and um, is after that. And I decide like okay, I want to race. And uh, so I get the newer sleds and then uh, went to race semi pro the following year and I get like uh, 
I think, uh, if I remember right, I think I get third in championship and semi-pro in Quebec. Mm -hmm. And um, as a year after, I moved to the, I moved to Rock Maple Series. So gotcha. I, I raced like a year and a half kind of in Quebec. And after that, we moved to uh, the East Coast, like Rock Maple back in the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, one of my episodes I did was uh, with Phil Whipple, and he was the PR guy for Rock Maple for a long time. So it, I don't say it, it, it doesn't surprise me, but Rock Maple was, you know, a really big series back then. So I would imagine a lot of the, the top level talent from, from Quebec was getting drawn down there to race just because it was more competitive. Yeah, like uh, when I moved there, like uh, I talked with a few guys like uh, Jean-Francois Brochet was uh, from Quebec racing there. Simon Belzil was there racing. And um, so we kind of was a little bit afraid to go race in U.S. because it's different from, from I, don't, I don't speak English at all back in those days. And uh, mm -hmm. we finally go there. But um, it, was a, it was a good choice. We have a lot of success there and a lot of fun. So when you first came down to race in the U.S. In, in Rock Maple, were you pretty quick immediately or were there some guys that were really pushing you around? How did those first couple of years go? Uh, pretty well, actually. I think it was like uh, in '02, the first time I went to Rock Maple. I think I won the, I won the first weekend right away and I, we won the championship that year in Pro Lights or Semi-Pro, whatever. And then... Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that was my second full year racing, and uh, yeah, I was happy. I won two championship, I think, that year in pro light. So, oh man, it's 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 interesting just to hear how how quickly, like I mean, like you said, you got into the sport really late, but super fast and super successful immediately. So, just a bunch of bunch of natural talent. So it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, a big part of your career i mean really the whole time even to this day danny you know relationship with with skidoo and brp when you came down and like when you started racing immediately when did the when did the relationship with skidoo start when you were getting help from from skidoo or racing skidoo sleds when did that start uh it started like uh the first actually the second the first year i raced like um in sport like i was trying to find a sled and i called the race shop to to get like a a sled to go race and they don't have anything so uh, i finally buy a whole sled we went out racing and then um, for for second weekend i want and people was there and they had no clue who i was and the, oh danny poirier from valcourt uh, just won you know and it's like who's the fuck is that? Who's the, who the hell is that guy you know <laughs> so, and after that like the following year i get a discount on the snowmobile so that's that's where everything started like in 2001, like the second year, actually, uh, I was racing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It, it all makes sense. Uh, first pro championship for you on the, on the rock maple side was in 2004. And that was, you know, kind of like I mentioned before, that was some of the peak years in, in rock maple in those early years, really, really competitive, a lot of contingency, a lot of sponsors sport was just so much bigger kind of, you're you're at the peak in a lot of ways of of what racing is back then did you consider at all kind of moving out west and competing at wpsa or were you really just hoping to to stay out east and have success there uh 
No, I, I don't know. It's I I'm, always would like to go to WSA back in those days, but um, never have. Um, I was on a pretty tight budget when I was racing. You know, like um, I was like twenty two years old, just buy a house. I just have a kids, and um, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, you have to get a loan to go race. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was that that kind of type of guy. So um, and I need to. Um, my the contingency and the purse was very important so i can go race the weekend after you know mm-hmm. so um it was very and uh, i was young well i was young with not too much helps and stuff back in those days so it was really hard for me to think about going race so far in minnesota whatever mm-hmm. so uh, i was trying to uh, put all the effort i can in the um, rock maple series and it's like you said back in those days like um I remember being like 24 pros and mm-hmm. um, like we had to qualify like to make we had we was happy to don't make the LCQ you know mm-hmm. so um, and uh, a lot of entries a lot of racing a lot of teams that was so big I, and back in those days I think it was even bigger than WSA mm-hmm. in the Rock Maple series yeah I, my first episode I did of this pod was actually with Lincoln Lemieux and he kind of talked about growing up in some of those those years and seeing the the pro class went you know before he got to there and i remember to that level there was even x games qualifiers for the rock maple guys and and i know you made it there like you you made it to x games at one point in time and and race so um yeah it's just looking back at at how big the series was back then how how competitive it was it it was just wild yeah, it was very competitive, like uh, in Rock Maple. But uh, for some reason, we always struggle. You know, tracks are different, whenever. But uh, every time I was going to race out west or with those guys, we always struggle a bit. Like uh, start wasn't good enough, and uh, um, I don't know if it's different. Like the tracks are built different. What like Rock Maple was more like a super cross kind of type track with like mm-hmm. a lot of jumps and hard pack. We get to Isaac's more bumpy with soft snow. I don't know, mm-hmm. but it was really hard for us uh, to compete to like a national level, even if the Rock Maple was pretty fast and competitive. When we go race Isaac, those guy was always a little bit faster. Well, going into the the 0607 season, you make a switch over to Polaris and Holton Speed Sports and you know, you had a lot of success there racing with those guys, a lot of wins and stuff like that, but I mean, what are kind of your your coolest memories of your of your couple years on Polaris? I have a lot, but uh, something I remember like the one of the cool things like um we switched there and like a lot of people was like, "Oh man, man. Polaris wasn't doing super good like um, in the Rock Maple series for a while and then they think like we do like something wrong you know whenever and then we won the first weekend so uh, that kind of like close every every actually a lot of people was happy was con- was a congratulation like um, I don't know con- congratulation whatever mm-hmm. yep. yeah there was congratulation to us and um and uh, that kind of started like a kind of rivality because for a few years it was like a lot of, a lot, a lot of skidoos on the track. So uh, it was pretty fun like um, to start like to win uh, on Polaris like the first weekend. And we have a lot of success there too. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, you, you took home two, two pro championships in, in those years. And 
uh, going into the the 2014 season, you're you're back on Skidoo with Ingles' performance and Ingles, you know, Robin Ingles. They've they've since sold off the dealership, so some people might not know who they are, but you know, they were around for 20 plus years running a top level program. But um, at that point in time, you know, Holton Speed Sports, Ray Holton was going to get out of the sport a little bit, focus on the Nationals. So you had an opportunity to to go back with Skidoo and with Ingles. You know. Those are some of those, I say, more dominant years for you, Danny. Um, twenty fourteen, there was a lot of talent there. Matthew Marin was back. Uh, Mike Bauer was was racing with Jess Racing. In some of those years, what are some of your coolest memories and and things that you remember from those first couple of years with Ingles? Um, when we switched to it, like um, bef- after we raced with the uh, Alton, like I was racing with the uh, Bailey Motorsports, so. Um, I raced two or three years with uh, Steve Bailey. I don't know if you remember them, but mm-hmm. um, and uh, Ray was helping us too from the national sides, and then so it was very fun to race like, with uh, Alton, uh, not Alton, sorry, Alton and um, Bailey's. But mm-hmm. um, and we switch uh, when when uh, Steve Bailey's kids stop Andrew. He stopped racing mm-hmm. for going to school, whatever, and that's that's great. And uh, they decide to stop racing. So um, back in that time, like I was talking just a little bit with Robin, and uh, I know it would be uh, interesting to have me there. And um, so I talked a little bit with Robin. Robin was uh, was all excited, and my uh, Robin and Mike, and I talked with Skidoo, and Skidoo was uh, super excited. And I know like how like how they structured their team, like they have a big team back in the day. Uh, they love racing, they support racing. So um, I finally, we get all together, like everything was great. We switched there and um, like it was like a big, it was weird, like it was like a big family, like um, mm-hmm. the old team, Pat Nod's brother, um, racing with Hunter and Leo. Um, there was ProLights, uh, I think back in those days, Matthew was there. Like, mm-hmm. um, they was super welcome. Like, my brother-in-law would come, my family, my kids, you know. Um, was I think it was more like the the old thing was like a big family going together. So that's the coolest, the coolest parts of it, I think. And, ev- like, um, everybody will help each other. I was helping Hunter, Leo with suspension, whenever, clutching if they need to. And then... Um, his dad would come help me out because sometimes I would go practice out west whenever I was by myself. So taking care of everything by myself, his dad was, would come and helps. And uh, Gary, Gary was with the team too that uh, was always behind, like taking care of everything, like cleaning sleds. And so it was like um, it was no pressure. Super fun place to be. Um, Everybody is excited about racing. They want to win. They want to have fun, um, but not in a bad way. Like uh, they want to win, but the everything was just like family things, and it was great. I would imagine too, Danny. You know, being back with Skidoo, you still live pretty close to Valcor. I'm sure you have a lot of friends that work at the factory or or live in town going home every weekend, being able to practice on a skidoo 
work with the race department and things like that. I imagine during that time period, that was, that was really cool and, and helped out a lot with your success. Yeah, that was, um, that was really fun. And I, and I start to learn a lot those years because, um, I was, um, back on Skidoo, you know, uh, I was testing during the week and I was, I was always testing something new every week. So, um, I would go right for twice a week and, uh, I was testing different stuff and then the guys at the race shop, they don't really have time to uh, take care of my stuff all the time. So they show me, uh, they explain me how to do shocks and it's like things like that. So at first, like uh, they trained me how to rebuild shocks and stuff like that. And I, I would go try my stuff and, um, or motor files, whatever. But, uh, and I would go, I, I would go practice with different shock package and stuff like that, and or different suspension geometry. And I would come back and I would tell them like, uh, what's going, what's what was happening with this and this. So they would tell me, okay, so now do this and do that. So that's how I learned. So by um, and now like if I go ride, like I would go test something, I come back and I, I know exactly what I have to do. But back in those days, <laughs> like um it was it was easy because you you go out you ride and uh you feel something you you have no idea how to fix it but you go back to the shop and uh, you told them like uh, here's what's happening so um they you know like sebastian Thibault back in those the the race director mm -hmm. at skidoo he helped me a lot like uh, was following everything i was doing so he said okay it's, it's happening because of this so now we're gonna try this and that and um so that in those in those in that period of day, I really have like a very dominant sleds, and um, that show up pretty good in those years. <laughs> yeah, I, that was one of the things I always admired about you, Danny. Beyond just being super fast on the track, but I remember there there'd be days where you know I'd be practicing on like the Friday before the race, and you look over and you like you yourself have your skid like completely pulled out and you're making shock adjustments completely on your own. And that's just, I, I don't knock people who don't know how to do that, but it, it's a different level of racer when you can completely understand what your sled is doing and you know how to fix it. Like it's, it's really cool. And it's something I always admired. Yeah. It's um, at first, I mean, it's, it's not the easiest way to go race. I will say because, uh, <laughs> It takes a lot of energy and times and, you know, a lot of thinking, but, um, that's what you have to do. Like, uh, if you want to learn, uh, if you want to go fast, you have to fix, uh, what you don't like. And, um, and that was, that was a thing too. Like during, I was testing a lot of stuff during the week. So if I find something better, I will always try that. I will, the way I was working, like I will always try and practice what I find better. And um, I was always keep a sled like it was before, and the other sled was like a, like a test, you know, like something mm -hmm. I think would be better. But um, it's impressive too during like how much tests you can do, and when you start comparing to where you are, then it's not very, like sometimes you go back exactly where you was before, and everything you test for like whenever how many days, you just okay, it's wrong direction. It's, it feels good sometimes, but um, mo not all the time. And it's it's really far. It's really hard to get out of your uh, when you have like something comfortable that you like and you trust. It's really hard to 
get over it and find some things better. Like if you already have something good, you you can work really hard to to find something better. So during that time period from 2014 through 2016, you win three championships in a row with East Coast Snowcross. Like I mentioned before, 2014, that season was pretty pretty stacked with talent. I mean, like I said, Mike Bauer, Matt Marin was back. Brett Bender was there at the beginning of that season. There was some talented guys. Leo bumped up at the end of the year. But 15 and 16, the pro class got a little bit a little bit leaner. I think we we lost a couple guys to the nationals and then some guys stepped away from racing and stuff like that. But you still managed to to come home with with three championships in a row during that period. I I'd, I'd imagine you're still pretty stoked on being able to do that. Yeah, but it's kind of why you want to it's why you go race too. So uh, that was what we wants to do. We want to win. So uh we do everything we can, but even uh, you're right. Like um, at the end, like uh, the last two years, the last year, the last year, I could remember exactly which one it was. But uh, the first couple of years, it was pretty packed with rider, like good rider. But the last couple of years, uh, we still have like Matsu Marin and um, it was guy from Plaris from I don't from Europe or something, but. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard because it's even if this the only battle even if there's a lot of guy on the track like you always battle two three guys at the time because yeah it's always like if a couple top guys are faster than the rest of the pack so even if the field was going lower the good rider was there like Matthew Bobby LePage or Karen Todd and those guys were still there and they still have like a good battle up front for the 2017 season i remember seeing the press release at the beginning of the year that you were gonna come out and race isoc and do pro light and pro am plus 30 i knew you would clean house in pro am plus 30 because you know you were way faster than those guys but i was really surprised to see that you were gonna do a full season of pro light was there a reason you wanted to to jump to the nationals this late in your career like what was the what was the thought process behind that that was a that all came together like uh kind of it was not the goal at first at all so um at first i was supposed to go out, out there and help like um uh pat Nose brother and by mm-hmm. the way by the in the same time like i would raise the pro am i was not supposed to race very, that year actually mm-hmm. so uh, i would raise the pro am things and then help pat Nose brother and uh, things like that and then uh, and i finally like uh, okay so we're going there and um isaac changed the rules so if you uh, because it was really hard to compete like with the mud sled back in those days like the um, mm-hmm. factory muds from the factory team was pretty fast yep. compared to like a normal muds you know mm-hmm. and um so um and I was uh, working with Skidoo to to develop the G4 chassis, you know. Mm-hmm. So when when all that start, and then when Isaac said the the pro guy, if they don't riding up, if they never run, run uh, up front, they are allowed to go down. And um, and I was like doing a lot of development on the G4 chassis, the one we're racing now. Mm-hmm. So I'm like um, maybe not. 
the bad idea to race more and race the the stock class, you know, and because I, I I've been on the mods for so many years, and um, now I was developing stock sets, and I'm not, you know, I wasn't running that much, so I mm -hmm. decided to um, to race the full season in pro lights, and um, so I can ride a stalker and get like a, a full season and a national series, so I can see how the track looks, what the what we need to improve, and um, how we can make the sled better for that. It was a kind of all. That's the kind of reason everything's happens. Like uh, it just like give me more experience, more feeling of everything. Like what's happening out west, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's yeah, that's it. It was more like uh, when they do that rule, I was like, oh, better do a. Uh, I decide to do it because uh, I don't know. I, I know I'm gonna learn something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, during that that 2017 year, all of us consumers, you know, we obviously didn't know what what Skidoo and BRP were doing, but we're we were all thinking, yeah, there's there's a Gen Four race sled coming probably next year. And then I remember at Valcor when you rolled out with that all black XPS Gen Four race sled, getting all this attention. I was like, that's, that's so cool. But do you remember that race at all? Like, was that, was that first kind of proto race sled? Was it good or was it, this is kind of off script, but was it good or was it still kind of in a prototype stage where there was a lot of testing to be done? Um, it was good, but uh, it was still in the, on the testing side a lot. And um, mm -hmm. that was cool because uh, it was funny because we, that, that we don't know, the sled was feeling better than like a, than than the stock, like a stock XS chassis, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, all the testing we do was pretty good, you know. And we get to the race and we can't get any starts, like none. <laughs> and um, the thing doesn't turn does like in testing it seems okay, but we get to race like we try to get cut underneath somebody that was really hard to turn in corners. Um, a lot of we get a lot of snow intrusion. Steering was frozen up. Like we learned mm -hmm. a lot of things that weekend. Then um, and we raced. I remember we raced like a one thirty seven track by that weekend. And then mm -hmm. after that, we decided to go back to one twenty eight. And mm -hmm. so um, a lot of things happened that weekend to race. When we raced, we learned a lot about the sled that weekend. So. Um, it was a, it was a cool things to get out with it, but um, it was it was like very um, not successful, but um, it was a good things we do it because we learned a lot of things over there over that weekend, mm -hmm. and um, we um, and we actually did pretty good because we was like the first it was like we was the first guy we was the first one on stock sets just behind all the mods from. Isaac series so maybe we get like a six or fifth six or something in the final but it was like the first the first stalker after the factory mod so it, it was not a bad weekend actually it was pretty cool well that 2017 season ended up being the the last year that, that you raced and it was kind of a shock when I 
when I saw it on on social media, just because, like I said, you've you've been around the sport a really long time. But you mentioned it a little bit earlier that you weren't really supposed to race that year. You were kind of going to help with testing a little bit more. So was that kind of always in your plan then to to hang it up at the end of 2017? Or did you kind of make that call during the season? No, it, it's been on my plan to stop racing and... And I was getting nervous to be honest. Like the last couple, the last few years, I was racing when I get too close from people and around people. Like, like kind of make me a little bit nervous, you know. So um, I was not feeling super comfortable in the racetrack anymore. But I love, um, I still love testing. In those days, I still love to ride and test. So uh, I don't really want to stop doing all that. So it's I kind of make it a little bit longer than maybe I would like to do. But um, it pays. I always enjoy riding sleds and riding snowcross. So it was kind of hard to stop. And um, I want to stay in shape too for testing and things like that. So, uh, But uh, the season was kind of tough because uh, I was not super comfortable all day. And the, the hardest thing like that year, I never race, I never practice on the on my race sleds or i was always mm. riding a g4 during the week you know oh so, okay so every weekend i was like jumping back on like carburetor motor mm. and uh, different chassis different suspension so i'm like what the hell so uh that was a little that was a tough tough year tough season like everything was is so different from though in 17 like when i was when you're testing like an injection motor, like a lot of response, a lot of power, jump back on your carburetor, like you feel like you have to jump on the throttle like a week before the bumps, you know. <laughs> and um, so it was a little bit, every weekend was a little bit adaptation, you know. And um, so, but I don't regret anything. Like um, I have a lot of fun doing both things. And now I'm over with racing, but uh, I, I don't know. I, it is a, yeah. I know it's was a hard season, but um, I I don't regret anything in that season. Well, it seems like a like a natural transition for you then. I mean, you spent you spent all these years doing testing with Skidoo um, on the off weekends and during the week, and when you finally hang up the boots, you end up just you know going right back into it, working in the race department at BRP. How are you enjoying that and and probably how cool is it to still be contributing to Skidoo's success on the racetrack even though it's not you riding anymore? Um uh yeah, that's is um I think I have actually more fun to see my like a rider winning than myself winning. It's mm-hmm. um it's really like um uh and then wait a minute. I, I feel like very successful when a rider can win, you know, in the weekends and um, and uh, the transition, like you said, it was like I feel like I never really stopped racing because I always liked the development parts and testing parts more than racing, and it's probably mm-hmm. why you see me working instead that much. But um, that's what I like to do, and uh, I still doing exactly what I was doing when I was racing. But I don't have to be on the racetrack and race with the other guys, so it's awesome that's the best that's the best work the the best work i can have and uh, like um the it's um it's really fun like when you're developing something like you work really hard on something and trying to make it better 
and you finally make it better like the feeling you have and when the rider wins after that and uh, it's i think it's better in racing to be honest mm. well some of the people i've talked to say that even though you've officially kind of hung up the boots and you don't race anymore they've seen your ride the last couple of years whether it's at the the labelle compound or when pat broder was still doing his track you're still crazy fast you could probably still line up and beat a lot of guys from what i've heard uh i don't think i'm slower than i was before but uh <laughs> i mean and i still running like dirt bikes and stuff like that mm-hmm. in the summer and uh, and uh it's like i said i really have a lot of fun to do it so uh, i don't take any chances you know like uh, don't do anything crazy but i still um i still have like a pretty good pace mm-hmm. i would say but nothing and i don't know nothing crazy but uh just you know just just like an old guy riding a motorcycle that's all or snowmobiles just ride around keep it safe and it's it's fun it's always the it's always the vet guys though danny the older guys that are way faster than they look even when i show up to a motocross track and the the dudes show up like in their 40s they're always like 10 times faster than me so you can say you're not fast but i bet you're just stupid fast uh i'm just okay (laughs) oh man well let's get into some some final questions i got for you danny so you know a lot of years a lot of fast teammates you've raced with um who's probably the the fastest teammate you've had and probably the the most competitive guy you've raced with over the years uh i have to say like the first when i first started racing in the u.s like cw surgeon was a very good competitor mm-hmm. when we were racing like pro lights and i have a lot of very tight and close battle with him and um, when we switched to pro, like Simon, Simon Belzil was super fast in those days. Um, the Barons brother after that, mm-hmm. like like Jason was fast and Matt catch up one point and Matt was really, really hard to beat. And mm-hmm. after that, like Matsu came, like uh, Matsu was there, Carmen, Todd, um, who uh, like Bender came, but he was not for very long. Like Bobby LePage was really impressive. But uh, mm-hmm. I think the um, the craziest and the fastest guy I see out there was really was Matthew. Like Matthew mm-hmm. was he has to I was to I have to get out of my comfort zone a few times, like to go around him and uh, like Matthew was kind of funny. He was a kind of kid that doesn't care about anything, like doesn't prepare <laughs> anything, just jump in the stead. Whenever he rides, he rides it, you know, and he, he mm-hmm. was fast, like super fast. I was, I'm more picky, like I need to have my stuff right, you know, like, like Matsu, even if he doesn't have brakes in the stead, he would just ride it as fast as <laughs> it's crazy. Like uh, that guy is, has a lot of talent. And uh, so um, Matsu was definitely one of the harder artists guy to race with i guess like the most competitive guy probably mm-hmm. does uh does simon Belzeal still work at brp i know he did for a while i don't know if he still does yeah we actually work together but simon is more in charge of the side-by-side stuff like uh, the racing side-by-side gotcha gotcha or Do you AT- guys and 
do you guys ever get together and talk about old racing days? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, not we don't treat really, some. Yeah, maybe once in a while, but uh, we 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 work uh, together every every day. So um, we help each other on our like he will help me in the winter. I will help him in the summer if he needs help. And uh, sometime like uh, we joke around about oh, I beat you at that place. Oh no, that's me and stuff <laughs> stuff like that. But uh, not too crazy. Like we focus. Uh, it's. And I don't, I don't really like to look behind. I kind of like to look forward, you know. So um, we we don't talk much about it. I, I would say like maybe once or two years or something like that. So you just said you don't like to look into the past. You like to look to the future, Danny. So when I asked you to jump on my podcast and talk about the past, I bet you weren't too excited. <laughs> I think about it for a while. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's great. That's great. So you've been around the sport, like I've said, a really, really long time, whether it's racing or still working with, with engineering and, and development besides sleds getting better and jumps, just getting bigger. What's the biggest change in snowcross that you've seen kind of throughout all these years? Hmm. Uh, it's, I don't know, like the, the competition is definitely way faster than it was like like the sleds are getting better like you said jumps i don't i don't think the jumps are getting bigger mm -hmm. but the tracks are get, getting nastier like they're mm -hmm. it's not a big jumps but you need like big big balls i was <laughs> to, <laughs> uh, to raise those tracks now like the bumps are very gnarly and actually the, the bumps the, the smaller one i mean not the small one but the the whoop section, I don't know how to do double, mm -hmm. double section, whatever. Those get very, very hard to do. And then you have to be on your A game to be able, like the big jumps are not a big deal, but those sections are very scary. If you walk the track after a race and stuff like that. And um, I, I think that's the parts of what we don't have back in my days. Like, and um, the speed they can go now in those section, like it's no joke. It's, it's very impressive. Uh, um, I think the speed is a lot faster now than it was like 10, 15 years ago, for sure. For the, um, um, the guy has to be in very good shape too. Like, like early nine, early 20, like 2000, like I don't think people was taking serious as now. And mm -hmm. now like people has to train hard, be ready, you know, it's um it's it's getting like a, more like a professional than he was i think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so last one for you here then danny your kids still super fast whether it's it's moto or or bmx but at any point in time did you try and try and push them into a snowcross career at all or did you just kind of let them let them figure out whatever they wanted to do. No, I kind of let them figure out what they want to do. So uh, they want to race bicycle. They race bicycle for a while. And then now, like, um, my kids decide, my boys decide to stop uh, racing bicycles. And he said, I want to have a dirt bike. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. So we, we buy him a dirt bike. So he uh, started riding dirt bikes. And I said, if you like it, I will buy one again. Because at one point I was the only one riding dirt bikes, so I get sick of it and uh, mm -hmm. I just sold everything, you know. 
and um so when he started riding he liked it so um, i bought a bike again so now we race we no we don't race we ride together and mm -hmm. uh he might wants to race third bike at one point but he's not ready yet and um i'm not the type of guy that will push him you know i, I let him i will let him go uh, I will let him feel like if he's ready and I think he's ready, like maybe we'll go race. But uh, for now, it's not really in the plan of racing anything since they both stopped. Like my daughter stopped doing BMX as, as well last summer because she's going to university. And uh, so um, she has a job and she's going to university and she doesn't want to get her. Then I get it. So uh, mm -hmm. she was getting... She was not excited to race anymore too much, so uh, she decided to stop. So for for now, like we uh, we're not racing anything. So I don't know if the kids will <laughs> jump on something later, but uh, they still have time. But I'm not I'm not pushing at all. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I just you know, like all of us racers, at one point in time, we we hope they we hope they race because it'd be super fun. But at the end of the day, we we gotta support them with with whatever they want to do yeah but even like um we bought i bought like um a summit for my kids and uh, i tried to teach them like how to ride like in the park and we have so much fun like i mean racing it's fun but we've been in it first and i still in it for since ever you know and um so uh, if they want to race i would be there but if they want to just play and have fun i'm good with it no problem yeah it's I kind of, you know, I experience it a little bit. I know a lot of a lot of snowcross guys experience it too. Where where when you're done racing, you just kind of gotta take a second and take a step back, and then you start like trail riding again or riding in the mountains, and you kind of you kind of remember why you like snowmobiling so much in the first place. So that's uh, that's always really important is to kind of fall in love with it all over again. Yeah, and. Uh... And and the other problem too, like if you show up to a race, like you're, if you show up to a state like a like a starting line, of like your belly get all fucked up again, and you want to win so bad, like you cannot. Mm -hmm. It's like some people can go to the race for fun, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, for me it's really hard. Like yeah, as soon as I get to a racetrack, I want to win. It's, mm -hmm. it's I'm bad with it, but. It's and and sometimes it's better to stay away so you don't have that feeling all the time. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. Well, Danny, thanks again a ton for coming on. Like I said, you've been on my list since day one, but I wasn't sure if if you'd be willing to do it. But you came up in enough of my previous episodes that I knew I had to try. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, super cool to have you on. Still one of the greatest snowcross racers of all time. So super grateful that you, that you joined us tonight, Danny. Thank you, Spencer. That's, uh, that's, uh, I'm very happy to be there. Danny Poirier on the Carbide Podcast. So cool to be able to chat with Danny and share a bit of his story. Frankly, if you've never heard of Danny prior to this, you can be forgiven. He's pretty soft-spoken. A lot of his success was in the pre-social media, pre-streaming era, and he's still not super active on social these days. However, if I showed you the list of national and factory guys that he's waxed over the years, you'd be pretty shocked. Thanks again to Danny for coming on. It was a bit of a reach goal for me to have him on, so I'm super stoked.
Thanks, everybody, who's still listening. I appreciate the support. And as always, take care.